I'm going to begin reading this morning in John chapter 17. I'm just going to begin reading the prayer that begins in verse 1. Just the prayer itself. I'll be reading down through verse 16 this morning because you may recall last Lord's Day, we've made our way into a section of Jesus' high priestly prayer where Jesus is, is almost praying through the marks of a true church, of a true believer. Uh, and last week we looked at joy from verse, I believe, 13 where Christ prays that my joy may be in them, may fill them. That was the first mark of a true believer, the joy of Christ being our own. Where there's not that kind of joy, we have reason to ask what's going on in my heart and soul. And as we look at verses 14 through 16, this morning we find the second mark of a true believer, of a, a true church, holiness. But let me begin reading. I'm going to begin reading with the prayer in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In both verses 14 and 16, you see kind of a repeat thought. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. There's an idea of separation there, an idea of holiness. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Greek word for holiness implies just that, separation. Something that's being set apart out of one place and being set apart into another place for a unique purpose. When a vessel in the temple was called holy, it was set apart for God's use. It was not to be used for mundane things. It was not to be used for common everyday practice. That piece in the temple was set aside, consecrated, if you will, for use 
for God. To do anything otherwise with that peace would be to profane the, its holiness, to profane its uniqueness. Well, when we think about you and I as believers, the meaning has not changed. We who are redeemed of the Lord have been separated out of the world unto Him, for Him, for His glory, for His purpose, to be used however He sees fit to use us. But we, our lives, are no longer our own. We've been called out of the world and set apart to the Lord. And that's why in the New Testament you see Christians being given the title saints. Even though they don't always act in correlation with that name. But even still, how is it possible for a people like us? John chapter 1 says, you and I were all once lovers of darkness, haters of God. How is it now we have been set apart by God? How are we who once hated God now to live unto him? Well, as Jesus says in this prayer, we are not of the world just as he is not of the world. What does he even mean by that? Well, it speaks to what we saw. We spent quite a bit of time, the, uh, the new birth with Nicodemus. How it is that the reason you and I, who were once lovers of darkness, haters of God, now have been set apart, and we're here this morning as haters of evil and lovers of God, it's because of the new birth. We formerly had a, a, a different nature. The Adamic nature, the nature of Adam, right? Going back to Genesis chapter 3, who rebelled against God. But that's not who we are this morning. We are now in Christ. That's our nature, Christ's nature. We are new creatures. We're not what we once were. Our disposition has been changed. You didn't do it. I didn't do it. It was the power of God. It was the mercy of God. It was the grace of God, the love for the world and the enticements that we once lived by were removed, taken away, and we were given now a new nature, a new love for God, a love for holiness, that our lips, our life, our hands, our feet are now consecrated to the one we once hated. We've become Partakers of the divine nature, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. All by the grace of God. And having new natures, the nature of a thing determines how it acts. You know, we sometimes read stories of people taking wild animals and trying to domesticate them, right? Uh, I mean, there's people who have pet lions and tigers. And you kind of ooh and awe because they've domesticated these wild animals. And then we're shocked when we hear a story that that tiger mauled the individual. Well, you never really domesticate a wild animal. Its nature is always its nature. It's always, that nature is going to come out at some point and in various ways. We can apply that when it comes to the, a person who can attend church their whole life, a person who can make a profession of Christ, be active in service of the church, and yet the day comes when he just abandons it all. And the church wants to say, what happened? Man, they were, we, we were certain. Well, 
the nature was never changed. He's simply acting according to his nature, unregenerate nature. And what we see here, the nature of someone who's born of God is totally different. The nature is not seen just in active, active uh, church attendance or in um, you know, being a good person. It's the depth of our mind, our heart, our soul has been so reconfigured that Christ really is everything. Not just from the lips, I say it, but from the heart. If you were to examine the heart of a new creature, one born from above, you would find this one is so enchanted by God, by Christ, he can't turn away from him. Now, he might sin a great deal. He may get into some bad habits. But where the new nature is, he will always return to his new love. Always. Because the nature has been changed. The child of God thinks and acts differently from someone who's of the world. Jesus pretty much repeats himself in verse 16. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. There's a sense in which our lives are a reflection of Christ's own. We've been given his nature, the new nature, then it would be clear that our lives ought to reflect his in some capacity. We'll never be as perfect as Christ, not in this life. But there are certain areas of Christ's holiness which we should pursue in our own lives. Christ walked in moral purity. So should we. Christ's thoughts were pure. Christ's thoughts were always right. His conduct was always holy and righteous. Now again, ours will never per be perfectly so in this life. But... What was it that made Christ so righteous and holy? Well, it was his nature, but it was also driven and motivated by his just devotion to the Father, his love for God, who is holy. Nothing could compare to him. None of the enchantments of this world could compare to God himself. Jesus himself said, it's, it's my food. We saw this last week in John chapter 4. It's my food to do the will of the Lord. That's what satisfies me more than anything. So holiness, as Christ is holy, we should have thoughts and actions and conduct that are right. But that's not just you and I doing better. It's being enchanted by what enchanted Christ, the Father. We also see in Jesus' life separated from the world, his holiness. We see he was consecrated in every aspect of his life unto the Lord. Jesus was conscious of the fact that everything he was was for the Father. His lips, his life, his hands, his feet, his mind, his very flesh. He was going to go to the cross and die for the glory of the Father. Not ultimately for you and I, but for the glory of the Father. He was joyfully set apart. Father, for your glory, use me. Jesus also walked in contentment. The things of this world didn't manipulate him. The things of this world 
didn't entice him. He wasn't living to impress others. He wasn't living to try to build himself up. He wasn't living to try to satisfy his desires with anything the world had to offer. His everything was God. That's what Paul talks about, cultivating this contentment. I count all things loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's contentment. Everything else I can do without, as long as I have Christ. The true believer is holy, not because you and I are super spiritual. Just like with joy we talked about last week, it was Jesus prayed that my joy may be in you. Likewise, we're holy, not because we're holy, but because Christ's holiness is in us. Our holiness has its foundation in Christ, in his person, in his work. You and I are not holy because we do good things. We're holy because Christ has done good things and he indwells us.